Alrighty, how's it going, Mets and overall baseball fans? Welcome back to the channel here on Wardy NYM and wherever you get your podcast for episode 36. I'm pretty sure it's 36, 36 or 37 of Believing Queens. Myself, Wardy, that's Joe Serralo, that's Anthony Recker, and we have some big news to discuss as the Metropolitans and Steve Cohen just keep blowing right through that luxury tax, acquiring the most coveted pitcher from Japan over in the MPB and Kodai Senga. So we're going to be sharing furthermore on our raw reactions to that deal for the Metro. Metropolitans. What does it mean for their rotation now going forward? How is it shaping up for 2023 versus how it looked this past season in 2022? Then, of course, we're going to hear Anthony Recker's thoughts on all the other moves for the Mets thus far because he wasn't here for our last show and plenty more. So make sure to smash that like and subscribe on as you're first coming to the show, guys. Greatly appreciate it. And also, I have to let you all know that today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting needs. So make sure you head over to betonline.ag using promo code BELIEVE at B L E A B that we get yourself a 50% off welcome bonus. Bet online, it's where the games begin. And now, folks, gentlemen, let's let the show begin. Joe, Anthony, how are you guys doing today? Doing good, man. I'm kind of shocked that you uh, took the ad read off my hands. But hey, the less that I have to do, the better. Oh, it's 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 just, it's ingrained in me now for every video yeah, there I you do. Go. Stuff. There you go, every video. I'm doing I'm great, guys. Um, I think the Niners just scored again, even though the game's over. I think they scored from their <laughs> club, from, from the clubhouse, like from the locker room. 42 to 7 now, I think, over the Bucks. I don't know. It's it's crazy. Just is Brock just Purdy like the next him. Tom Brady, late draft pick turned Hall of Famer. We're not gonna go next anything, <laughs> especially Tom Brady, but um, I'll go like the dude looked good today, man. Like, I'm not gonna jinx anything. I'm not gonna my hopes are up, but I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna go crazy yet. Um, but yeah, yeah, but he looked really good today. It's, I don't know if it was a combination of the Bucks are just not good or he was pretty darn good. Yeah, some throws that were, you know, man, he got a nice penalty call on a what would have been a pick. Uh had a nice First PI call in the too. end zone, gave the him sack. another shot like what's that? First play of the game, that sack. He, he he got a break there that roughing the passer. That was just a great he sack. He took a good one. He took yeah. a good one, you know. <laughs> Rex yeah. like I played I played a few of those back in the day. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was quite the homecoming for Tom Brady in his second ever time playing in the Bay Area. Did not go well for him, unfortunately. But for I know a lot of people that are either Jets, Giants, even Steelers fans, including myself, we definitely didn't mind seeing Tom Brady falter this Sunday evening. But now, speaking yep. of New York sports, let's get in this Metropolitan team because, guys, Kodai Senga, it breaks last night around midnight for the first time, like, ever. I was late to it by, like, 20 minutes. Andy Martino initially reports the Mets signed Kodai Senga to a five-year, $75 million deal with an opt-out after, after the third year. Greg, considering you weren't here for our last show, I'll start with you. What is your raw reaction to this pickup for the Metropolitan, solidifying their rotation now, and your over all thoughts on not only Senga, but the same thing with Brandon Nimmo, David Robertson, I mean, Quintana, everything else that you haven't been able to chime in on. Let's hear your thoughts about. I think I was here for, for the Quintana news. I, yes. think, I think we talked yeah, about that last time yeah. I was on at least. Um, but with Senga, I, this is the one signing that I know we were all kind of anticipating and hoping for. But to me, this is the first signing that the Mets have made that I think truly raises their ceiling. Um, and, and I say that, you know, based off of what they did last season. Um, you know, you bring in Verlander, great. Is that a DeGrom replacement? I don't know. Sure, why not? Like, if you want to go one for one, I, I'm not going to say it is. I think DeGrom's better but and will be better this year. But at least it's, it's obviously as good as you're going to find on the market outside of him. Um, or maybe Rodon, which obviously I had said I would have liked. 
Um, but then, you know, some of the other moves, uh, they were great. Like, you know, uh, I'm not putting anybody else down. Um, but in saying that Senga has that ability at touching 102, um, you know, great splitter, uh, nice slider. This guy could legitimately be the reason that you get over the over the top. This could be the guy that brings you to where you want to be. I'm if you've heard me talk on this show or on the, any anything else I'm, I'm on, with, um, you know I'm a potential guy. I'm a I'm a, I like to see ceiling. I like to see um, prospects and and um, young guys and and what are they capable of? Because it's there's an unknown factor there and the ability to get better and see what that's what this guy brings. He brings all of that. And it's to me, it's the one signing this year that truly gives the Mets a chance to look at their opposition and say, yeah, yeah, we, I like, we have a better third starter than you. And, and that may not sound like much, but when your first two starters are Scherzer and Verlander and assuming they're healthy, that's huge because this guy looks like he could be, he could be dominant. I mean, look, he could come out and pitch to a three or a three, five and be good, which for 15 million a year, that's more than what you get for 15 million a year. So um, it's a bargain really for the Mets, obviously the opt out after the third year, which I would expect he would take assuming he pitches fairly well over the next three seasons. Um, but right now, I mean, the guy is, he's all potential to me. He's all possibility. And I love that. I love guys like that. So this again is the first guy that I really think when they signed him, it was okay. Now, now we've got a shot at really doing something special on top of what we built last season. So now we're, now we're raising the bar. Um, when it comes to Nimmo coming back, that's something that, you know, I, I, I shared a, a you know, a couple notes with you guys about options I thought the Mets could have done had they not been able to bring Nimmo back. But bringing Nimmo back was always the number one option. That was always the the best case scenario. Um, if you don't get him back, signing Kevin Kiermaier wasn't an option, in, in my opinion. That's, that doesn't make sense. I'm going after a really good defensive center fielder, someone who brings value in other places. And I, I floated a name out to you guys in trade in on the trade market in Trent Grisham, just because the Padres are bringing so many guys in, they're going to have an influx. They're going to have too many guys. He had a really bad year last year outside of his playoff run. And so really his stock was down a little bit, but defensively the guy's one of the best center fielders in the game has speed has all these other things. So that was like an option for me, but bringing Nimmo back is always better. I mean, you get a guy who's potential 400 on base guy, leadoff guy. He fits in that clubhouse. He has fit in that clubhouse. He's performed in this city. Um, defensively, he's bit, he's been fantastic the last couple of seasons and he's just always that guy who strives to get better. I, I hope he can start to bring an element of speed on the base paths to his game again, as far as stealing bases. Um, maybe with some of the rule changes, he'll be able to take advantage of those and, and start to do that a little bit more again. I don't know. Um, but still it's Brandon Nimmo guys. This guy's fantastic. I love him. He's been a top 10 center fielder in the game for a while. He's probably a top five, top three center fielder right now. And that's saying something. So it's it's very good to get this guy back and have him back at the top of the lineup. Uh, as far as David Robertson is concerned, I like the signing. Um, one year especially, $10 million is a great signing. Uh, you get the option to use this guy in multitude of roles. Uh, he can be your closer if anything 
happens to Edwin throughout the course of the year, needs a day off, whatever. Like you have a guy that can that can handle a lot of things. He's very good against left-handers. He's also good against righties. He's got that big breaking ball, uses the cutter in the lefties. Um, he's got experience. He's been in the playoffs. He's done, you know, he's he's been on runs. Heck, he was in the World Series last year with the Phillies. So uh, this guy understands, you know, what it takes to win and and how to get there. All that said, you know I hate walks and – Yes, he had a lot of walks last year. I didn't even was realize that until I. Innings? Yeah, it was crazy. Like I didn't even realize that until I saw until I saw his stats after after he signed. Um, it's literally an just because I hadn't really like what's that. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just want to say it's kind of bizarre how similar he is to Ottavino from when the Mets acquired him. You know, he had a four walks per nine when the Mets signed him last offseason. Now they get Robertson, very similar reliever age and the type of stuff he has. And he himself has a five walks per nine. So the hope is that Hefner can do his magic again. Well, I think I think with Robertson, at least there's been more consistency throughout his career, right? Adovino, we've seen the the swings. I mean, from a five to a two to a five to a one to a so I, that that I don't. I mean, look, all relievers have a little bit of a swing. Robertson has had some down years himself, but when you look at his page, it's not the same. Like to me, I see a guy who's more consistent, um, you know, and and who I think you can trust a little bit more, and that walk rate that wasn't on par with his career. Like he hasn't been a five per nine guy in his career. So that, that to me kind of spells, I, I can, I can look past it a little bit. We're hopeful of course, that that walk rate comes down because you put guys on base and eventually you're going to get burned and you don't want that to happen in the wrong spot. That's why I don't like guys who, you know, who walk a lot of people, especially in the back end of the bullpen outside of that though. Look, I, these, these were signings that, were necessary for the Mets, especially Nimmo and and Robertson. They had to do something with the back end of the bullpen. Um, I think there's still more to come. I think they're going to need to make probably some trades to do so. I don't think there's that much left on the free agent market. Um, that said, uh, I'm I'm interested to see where they can go with their lineup to get some more production because that's one thing that really hasn't been addressed at all, and that's a pretty glaring hole. I mean, look, they were a great offensive team last year with no pop. You saw some other teams be great offensive teams last year with no pop and get to the playoffs and do, you know, make some noise, but ultimately fall short because they couldn't get that instant, you know, offense, those big numbers on the board. And that's the one thing I think this Mets team still has yet to figure out. And hopefully, hopefully they will. Beautifully said, Rick. And Joe, before I get to you, I just want to shout out everyone here again watching the live stream on YouTube and, of course, wherever you get your audio podcast. Make sure to rate and review as we're breaking down all the latest for the Metropolitans here in free agency this offseason. Signing Kodai Senga is their latest big move. So, Joe, what's your raw reaction? Because at least it was a reasonable hour for you when it transpired yesterday versus us Mets fans on the East Coast having to deal with it around midnight. I was asleep. Like, let, let me hear it. One, <laughs> did you fully expect this the way that a lot of other Mets fans felt? And two, how do you feel about this rotation now heading into the upcoming season with uncertainty still surrounding Carlos Carrasco as a potential trade chip? Yeah, uh, first off, you know, I've been hearing a lot about Carrasco as a trade chip. I love the guy. I, you know, last year he he definitely went out there and was consistent for a good part of the season and and did great work for the Mets. What are we going to get as far as ROI for Carlos Carrasco? Like everyone says, oh, trade chip, trade chip. Like, I mean, outside of maybe shedding salary, what what exactly are we going to get for Carrasco? He's not going to bring in top prospects. He's not going to bring in a big bat. Uh, I don't necessarily understand that. I think it's actually for the one-year deal smarter to keep him around and, you know, A, have rotation depth. 
B, I know it's something the Mets have been opposed to in the past. Maybe explore a six-man rotation, considering your two aces are, you know, right around 40 years old. Uh, so I don't know about Carrasco as a trade chip. As far as Sengo, when that news broke, I, I mean, I was ecstatic. And, and I have to say, as happy as I was, I wasn't shocked at all. Once, <laughs> it really is true. Once DeGrom went on that press conference and said he likes the vision that the Texas Rangers have, and he sees winning in their future, it sparked something in Uncle Stevie. And, you know, at this point, nothing surprises me. The Mets could go sign Carlos Correa tonight. I know we'll get to that topic shortly. Uh, and do I think they're going to sign Correa? No, I don't. But if they sign him tonight, would I be surprised? No, I wouldn't. Because once DeGrom said that, it was like just a, a switch flipped in Steve Cohen. And he's, you know, you can call it reckless spending. You can call it brazen spending, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I mean, the guy is just out there. He's on a mission to put the best roster together. And, you know, Senga, he's the third guy this offseason to reject a bigger offer. Reportedly, the San Diego Padres offered Senga more money than the Mets. Reportedly, they offered Judge more money than the Yankees. Reportedly, they, well, not reportedly, we know that they offered Trey Turner $41 million more than the Phillies. Um, so the Padres get burned again. Senga coming to the Mets shows that he believes in what we're doing. To me, it also tells me that the Mets are the clear favorites to land Shohei Otani. And I wouldn't be shocked if they told Kodai Senga, hey, you come here, we're going to do everything within our power to make sure that Otani is a Met after one year of, uh, of you playing in Queens. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's no denying that pursuing Kodai Senga goes directly in hand with an Otani pursuit, whether that's not until next offseason, whether that's potentially as soon as the trade deadline, if the Mets want to do their best Padres impression with how they landed uh, Juan Soto last off uh, last midseason, I should say. So there's a lot of potential for Shohei to land in Queens. Just the thought is absurd. I feel like I'm going to be talking about Shohei just as much as I spent extensive periods of time talking about Chris Bryant for like a year and a half when the Mets were constantly linked to him over the past couple of years up until his eventual signing with the Rockies. But Otani, just the thought is amazing. But yeah, I love this deal with getting Kodai Senga. And I think it tells you too, for Senga to not go to San Diego when he supposedly had a higher offer on the table for the Padres. And you have you Darvish, who's one of his closest friends that we know of, then you have his former teammates in both Nick Martinez and Robert Suarez. That tells you that the Mets did the best sell job possible. And he feels that my best chances of winning as soon as next season among the teams that showed interest in me are the New York Mets. And we have to keep in mind something that I really think is going to do wonders, not only for Kodai Senga, but for the rest of this pitching staff and for the guys in the bullpen is how the Mets are instructing things with having such an analytically developed staff having guys in Jaegers who works for driveline I think that's huge for this team so having all this influx of information again Steve Cohen isn't just pouring out the money for the roster he's pouring it out internally and that's what you need to do first and foremost so I think you look at everything the Mets are doing from an internal standpoint with their coaching staff and their front office and you have a great feeling that they're not only landing big time players but they're landing these guys in with Kodai Kodai's best bet to be, if not elite, but a very good pitcher at minimum at the MLB level could be in Queens with everything that they're building around him right now. So it's not like one of those things where you're just throwing him in there a couple of years ago under the Wolpons and the Mets team didn't even have an analytics staff. So it's drastically different. And I'm really, really happy that the Mets got this deal done quickly for people who don't know who Kodai Senga is. Again, 29 year old, six foot or so flamethrowing right-hander. He's been in the MPB for 11 seasons, did pitch in the world baseball class a couple of years ago and helped Japan win it all. And during this time in this past 2022 season, 
season and 23 games and just under 150 innings. He had a 1.89 year rate, a 1.04 FIP, and 159 strikeouts in his career. Has a sub four year rate, uh, SIE rate 2.42 and a 110 whip with around 1,500 strikeouts. And he, of course, has that flame throwing fastball. Touching 101 on a good day and averaging 95 plus. And then with the slider, nice white bat slider and that ghost fork, which is just a nasty splitty. So a lot of potential with Kodai Single. And for his price, I mean, Taiwan Walker signed $72 million over four years with the Phillies. That's 18 plus AAV. You look at Jameson Tyone, who I know you guys weren't as in love with um, as I was just defending at least his walk rate. That's the best that I could do with Tyone Osley. He signed $68 million over those four years. So you get Kodai on 15 mil AAV. There's an opt-out after three years. I mean, how can you go wrong in this deal in the Mets? I feel that this is probably one of the best uh, not bargains, but one of the best experiments worth taking for a guy that has higher upside potentially than Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, et cetera, what they give you. And to add, again, having Jose Quintana as your number four is awesome. Carrasco is your number five. And again, that's in part why the Mets may trade him because there's teams desperate for pitching now. This pitching market is uber expensive. So to get Carrasco even at his current contract to like around 13 and a half, 14 million dollars. That's going to be of interest to a lot more teams than what it was before free agency really started to unravel pre-winter meetings. So if the Mets feel comfortable with what they have and McGill, Peterson, et cetera, from there, adding some more depth, hopefully, maybe they do trade Carrasco to get another strong bullpen piece. It wouldn't be the most outlandish thing in the world. Seth Lugo's likely out here. Trevor uh, Trevor Williams is gone. We know that sign with the Nationals. Good for him. As and a I star. like that contract, too. I would have brought him back. I that know, contract. but he want, he's a full-time starter there. So that's why he signed that deal clearly. I don't know if that's guaranteed just yet. I think so. I really do. I'll be surprised if he's not full-time starter the next two years with how we'll they're see. Right. What, what was on your mind? I just wanted to jump in because um, – you know, we're talking about trade, trading Carrasco. One of the things that this Mets team has had a problem with over the last couple of years is a lack of rotational depth, right? Oh, I agree. Um, yeah. Even last year, there were times where it seemed like it got stretched really thin. and Like Jose Budo making a start in Philly? <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> the fact that they still won look, that game? Oh my stuff God. <laughs> happens throughout the course of the year. You're going to need more than seven guys. But to go into the season with seven guys that you know you can at least trust, uh, you know, at least fairly reasonably. Look, you don't know that much about Senga yet, but yep. for the most part, like any day that any of those seven go, go out there, you're going to feel pretty good. You're going to feel like you have a really good shot of winning that game. Um, and that's not something many teams can say. I think the Padres were one of few last year that at some point you could have said any one of our seven starters, yeah, we can win that game. And there weren't a whole lot of other teams that could say that. I think that's huge. And I think what you do if you're the Mets is if there's any – idea of trading anyone wait till the trade deadline wait till a, a needy team who is looking for a starter and you may have a surplus at that point i mean you could look at what the yankees did last year when they flipped um jordan montgomery to the cardinals uh, was that you know not everybody loved that move in the moment but it actually worked out pretty well for them they didn't really need him in their starting rotation because when it came playoff time was he gonna make a lot of starts i don't know that's what who carrasco would be he wouldn't start for them in the playoffs most likely assuming they're healthy and if they're in playoff position come end of july you flip him then or you flip somebody else whoever else you know i don't i don't know who it may be maybe it's i doubt it's quintana but maybe one of the younger guys if if a team's willing to really overpay for one of them who knows i you know it just depends on 
trade values and everything else at that point. But realistically, I think I think Carrasco certainly makes the most sense because he would be that one-year rental. But I think that's when you consider that. If if they trade him now, I would be I'd be very surprised because unless they were bringing back in another deal of some kind a potential seventh type starter. Um, because you don't, you don't need Carrasco. Like I trust Peterson and McGill to be five, six, whatever, but you still need more depth. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, when you look at that Yankee (laughs) trade, you know, the Yankees were getting killed because Montgomery went to St. Louis and had the August of a lifetime might've been the NL pitcher of the month in August. Yep. And then come the playoffs, who was the Yankees hero? Harrison Bader. He looked like Aaron judge. It was awesome. Yeah. So a a deal like that, I could certainly see happening. Plus Carrasco, his salary would be less to take on, you know, Mm -hmm. four months of the year goes by. All of a sudden, he's worth five mil, or rather owed five mil, as opposed to the 14. Um, I think that's the way to go. But I think, like I said, when you're dealing with your top two starters, both being, what, 38 and 40? I mean, I just you, you want all the depth you can have. And Carrasco gave the Mets some really meaningful innings last year, um, especially, you know, until, uh, until Jake returned. There were times where Max was out. You know, don't forget, this guy was a 15-game winner a year ago. I know that the ERA fluctuated. I know that there were games where he did get shelled. But at the end of the day, you know, not too many pitchers in, in Major League Baseball have ERAs under four. It's, uh, you know, it's a hitter's league as the years progress. And so for Cookie to go out there and throughout a full season, stay healthy for all except about two weeks, turn in a sub four ERA, win 15 games. There's something to be said for that. Now, my question to both of you, and I'll start with you, Joe, because I asked you last, is how this rotation is currently constructed how do you view it in comparison to what we just saw in 2022? Because even injuries aside, the Mets still had one of the better rotations in all of baseball for whoever was in there for the most part. It, it really didn't matter for a large portion of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting uh, rotation to look at, right? You get Verlander as the DeGrom replacement. Now, you can argue who's better. You know, it, there's a difference between who's better and who's more talented, right? Jacob DeGrom, most talented pitcher on the planet. I'll never dispute that. Made 11 starts last year. Justin Verlander won a Cy Young. You know, you you tell me what you'd rather have. Uh, Not saying Jake is going to make 11 or 30 starts this year. Who knows? I'm just saying, uh, you know, Verlander, he's Jake's replacement. Senga is essentially Bassett's replacement. And this is really interesting because we compare the contract to Taiwan Walker. More team-friendly deal than Ty. And I think, no offense to Ty, I love Ty. And part of me really wishes he was back. I think Senga's floor is essentially Ty's stat line for a full season. Yeah. I think that's what Senga's floor is, like a number four starter. I think his ceiling is the Mets get a third ace. So, you know, look, Bassett was Mr. Consistency. Ty was an all-star in the first half. With Senga, there is that unknown. But I I think when you look at the potential, there's going to be games where he goes out there and goes seven shutty. There may be games where he goes out there and can't get out of the fourth inning. Who knows? Uh, but I think that, you know, while there will be a bit of a learning curve, I think at the end of the day, you'll probably get a line pretty similar to Bassett's from a year ago. But I think you'll get more flashes of dominance out of Senga uh, because of that fork ball, because he's a guy that, you know, can touch 100, a guy who these hitters haven't seen. I, I think you'll get more boomer bust potential. And I'm leaning a little more on the boom side. Quintana, uh, you know, he's essentially Ty's replacement. I mean, I know that the wins weren't there. He was six and seven, but he had a sub three ERA. And don't forget with Quintana, the Mets are the first team in MLB history next year to have three guys in their rotation who were all game one starters of a playoff series the year before. Max, JV, and Quintana started game one of the wild card for St. Louis. So 
yeah, pretty damn good four guy to have a sub uh, sub three ERA. I, I think all in all, you know, obviously health is a big factor, but I think that this is a better rotation than what they had a year ago. Yeah. All right. What about you, Rec? How do you feel? Um, I like the rotation the way it's set up. The mostly, if you want to break it down position by position, Joe already you know did a pretty good job with that. Mm-hmm. I would say that depth wise, though, uh, I just I think knowing a little bit more about McGill. Peterson as well, and then having the ability to say that you can, uh, like I said before, you can go seven deep and, and feel good about your chances to win that day. That's the most important thing to me. Um, you know, I if, if you go player for player, it's close. I don't want to put down anything that, that Ty did, that Bassett did, because they were fantastic last year uh, for the oh, Mets, yeah. no doubt. Uh, they went out there pretty much every fifth day. They were consistent, um, you know, aside from a start here and there, they, they were awesome to be honest with you. And so realistically, um, you know, I, I think, I think I said it already. Senga has, he gives you that chance to really raise your ceiling. And Joe said it himself. He's got the chance to be potentially a third ace. And, and to me, there's not a whole lot of rotations that can boast something like that. I think you look at around the NL East and I will say that, the Braves rotation still looks good. Depends on how Morton bounces back, but their rotation still looks good. Philly's rotation looks better than it was. Uh, you know, signing Taiwan Walker really lengthens them out. Ranger Suarez kind of more of a full season type guy potentially. And then of course you've got Wheeler and Nolo at the top. So they look very good. Um, I would say that uh, weirdly the Marlins have a fantastic rotation. It's just, they're probably not going to hit. Um, but this this NL East has some really good pitching in it. Um, but the Mets stack up really, really well um, in that category. And, and I think it's that depth. The only team I think that can really match the depth is probably the Braves um, because they go they go pretty deep as well. But realistically, they're they're counting on some guys that, you know, maybe whether it's Soroka, who knows what you're going to get from him. Morton didn't look great last year. So they've got more question marks i would say right now probably than the mets and and i think that's a great thing obviously for the mets moving forward to me now it's just a matter of filling out this this lineup in a way that they can just be a little bit more impactful um immediately impactful obviously i'm talking power so and, and you know we we keep oh, going God. back to the depth of this mets rotation to me that's what puts them at a big advantage over Philly. Philly has a top heavy rotation for sure. You can run their top 3 especially with what we saw from Suarez second half. You can run their top 3 against anyone's, but they don't even have a number 5 who's reliable. I mean, who's their fifth guy going to be like Bailey Falter? Yeah. Falter. To, to yep. me, he's not a reliable number 5. Um so when you look at that team versus the Mets having I think seven guys who are better than Falter. It's the Mets are in pretty good shape right now. Like you said, Rick, the Braves, if Morton's on, they're deep. Obviously, Strider's emergence, Soroka, who, you know, has missed a lot of time. The Braves are deep as hell. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't know. I was going to say the Braves have more question marks. Senga is a huge question mark. Um, Senga's a question I, mark. Yeah, I, I think but I mean, set up I, I pretty, think you nailed damage. it earlier, though, when you said that his his floor, uh, I'm not going to say is is Taiwan's, you know, season last year, but his yeah, floor is. But no, no. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not an insult. I mean, he had a good year, so it's not an insult, yeah. but um, I just, I, you know, his, his floor is, I think relatively safe. You know what I mean? Uh, I think if I were to think of his floor, I would think of a four, like four flat, which no, that's, you want better than that. And you expect better than that. But for 15 million, that's honestly what you get in the free agent market is about a four yeah. flat and about 150 to 180 innings. So 
Um, even if that is what he does, he's living up to his contract. It's just there's the potential for him to be a two, you know, two five guy at 180 innings, which would be unbelievable for this Mets team if that's what they uh, were able to get out of him. So rotation looks stellar. Again, you know, there's more work to do in the bullpen, in my opinion, and there's definitely they need that bat. They they still have nobody outside of Pete that really scares you in the lineup. Yes, Lindor is a great hitter, and you know he can put the ball out of the ballpark, but he's he he hasn't been that eight fifty OPS guy, five something slugging guy. Like he just hasn't been that, and they haven't had that second bat like that. And I think that's the thing that they they really kind of need, so that Pete doesn't have to press when those certain situations come up. Um, throughout the season and he's trying to do everything and then he goes into his funk and you know we've seen it happen pretty much every year that he's been with this club because every year he hasn't had enough around him um, you know to really help him not have to do that so just hoping that they can look these guys these guys don't grow on trees but if they can find you know a bat particularly in my opinion a left-handed bat um, with with pop that would be that would go a long way. Almost sounds like Otani to me, but uh, I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. <laughs> yeah, I think Otani is certainly an amazing and great possibility. It's just not the timing yet. I think we're still a little bit of ways before we can see Otani is like, oh shit, it's actually going to happen. But what we do know is that Steve Cohen, after l- losing out on Jacob DeGrom, guaranteed $360 million to players in the ensuing nine day span afterwards. They're already at. $421 million for the 2023 season, including the luxury tax. So it's safe to say that the the expectations from what Steve Cohen said a year ago that if I blow through the luxury tax, I'm going to just blow through it because there's no point in doing it a little bit certainly holds true here. Now, the big question now, as the Mets still have some holes, nothing as drastic, but you have the bullpen, right? Hopefully they land one or maybe two more pieces. Um, that's a big question mark as to who that can be because Andrew Chafin, a guy that I thought was a great fit, I don't really see much of a, a reality where he would say land with the Mets now because they got two guys who are lefty killers and Brooks Raley and David Robertson, both phenomenal numbers this past year against lefty hitters. So I, I think for that aspect, Chafin would be nice, but probably a guy looking for a multi-year deal. I can see why the Mets won't go there. Kind of similar to Adam Adovino as well. So there's still uncertainties from the bullpen side things to really Trevor short May. things up. Trevor Bring May, I know, Trevor I, know, May man. I know you would like him back, but from an he at this point now, at this point now with with Robertson under, um, you've got Brooks Raley back there. I, I think he could make a lot of sense. I think now I liked him two years ago when they signed him. I, I was actually hoping that Me they too. would sign him then. Um, I think his time here has been more fluctuating than I was expecting. I thought he would bring some consistency. Um, that said, I think now the timing makes sense that he would be a, a nice piece to add there just as another piece that you can use anywhere from the sixth to the eighth. And that's just what they need. They need to fill those innings as much as they can. And let's not forget, I, I hope that they will at some point, and they did a little bit at times last year, use Edwin in those big situations yeah. in the eighth inning when you have the middle of the lineup coming up. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense. So to have a guy like May or Robertson who could potentially close it out, or even really who could probably close it out um, in those scenarios, I think I think that makes a lot of sense to have as many options back there as you can. Um, and they just they just don't have enough bodies back there right now. So adding a few more and him being one that wouldn't come overly expensive would be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what are we looking at right now? We've got 
eight relief pitching slots. So you've got Diaz, Raley, Zach Green was a rule five pick. So he's projected to make the opening. I, I don't think here. he's going to make it though. You think that they're going to give him back to the Yanks? The Mets have only kept three rule five picks in the past 30 years. So if I'm basing on that number, I don't think they'll keep him. But let's not forget that because I, I don't know what the I don't know if there's going to be a roster thing again. I don't I don't think there will earlier this year. So I'm assuming it'll just start at 26. But let's not forget that because they have potentially Peterson and McGill as six seven, one right. of them can make the team and be a swingman, be a starter, be a bullpen guy, eat up innings. They don't have to necessarily have another like like every bullpen piece that they have might not be need to be you know super important or have to go out there every other day they can they might be able to hide a zach green for a little bit while he gets his feet wet and gets comfortable and everything else um if they want to i, I really like that pickup by the way i thought that was a good pickup especially with that k rate that he has you see what the mets are doing i mean they put the ball in play as good as any team you know cleveland's up there and there's a couple other teams that are up there with them that put the ball in play like they do um and then they don't let the other team put the ball in play. They strike guys out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, Scherzer's numbers were pretty good last year. Verlander didn't have a ton of Ks last year. But, I mean, with the way he works and the way this defense, in the infield defense can be, especially up the middle with McNeil and Lindor, maybe even somebody else playing second base and McNeil at third. I don't know. We'll see. Um, this, this team could be really good defensively, too. It's just, again, do they find that bat and maybe, you know, another guy who can play defense in the infield. But not you know striking guys out and then not letting guys not letting guys get on base and then getting on base yourself i mean that's a really good recipe uh, to win a lot of games in the regular season and that's what this team's doing sounds like the 2015 royals to me <laughs> stop it <laughs> you're not wrong but I mean, not, not so much their starters but their bullpen was just you know oh my god mowing guys down. down and they put yep. the ball and play better than anyone yeah and you know, you look at the Mets and their current roster configuration. I believe they only have one more spot on the 40-man. So there's definitely moves that are going to come from dropping guys. I think Yona Lopez is like the first man up amongst some others that are still on that 40-man, for instance, because the Mets aren't done with moves. And now shifting from bullpen, because there's plenty of options there still on the free agent or trade market, offensively, as you were alluding to, Rec, that is the biggest question that every Mets fan and their mother currently has. What are they going to do? You know, we saw, I saw an article come out earlier today from Tim Healy uh, that was stating that the Mets aren't prioritizing the thought of landing strictly a slugger. They're in the market offensively in both the infield and outfield market. But of course, Billy isn't going to come out and say right away that, yeah, we're specifically looking for a guy that has a certain level of power. They just want to make sure that they have more run production than last year and more consistent run production. But there's no denying that if you watch this Mets team this past year, like we all did, their biggest gaping hole in the slap right now is, again, more protect protection for Alonzo. That feels like a must. And maybe Francisco Alvarez is going to give that to you if he does get consistent playing time from the jump. But that's still an uncertainty. And as I've always said, and I'll say it again, as much as I want to see the kids get playing time, and I hope they do, it's not something that the Mets should be banking on entering the 2023 season, in my opinion, when there are still bat options out there, even on the free agent market that might not be the prettiest, but are worthy of taking a flyer on, on say a one or two year deal. I mean, when we're talking slugging power, there's been some rumblings. I mean, some people have been infatuated with the idea of an Adam Duvall. How healthy is he going to be? That's a question mark, but let's not forget last time he did play in 2021 with the uh, Marlins and the Braves. Had 38 home runs, well over 100 RBIs. Very sneaky season, but 
something that I'm sure the Mets don't love about a Duvall is one, he is a strikeout machine. Two, low OBP guy. And three, he's really just boomer bust when it comes to his offensive production. So I that isn't the Billy Epler way. So what is the Epler? What is that nice middle? Well, if they do say a platoon split for next year, um, Rec, Joe, let me know if you agree or disagree. I don't think it's in the best interest of the Mets to land another bat that's solely a DH. I think that will be not the smartest decision for them, especially with potentially DHing a Francisco Alvarez at times, uh, even a Mark Viento still, should he stay on this lineup for the upcoming year. So I think it's important for the Mets with whatever bat they do land that they have some potential outfield flexibility. And a guy that pops in my mind, injuries aside, who rakes against lefties, had a 930 OPS against them in 2022, is A.J. Pollock. He's a guy that the Mets actually pursued a couple years ago. He ended up going to the Dodgers. Not great numbers against righties, but again, if the Mets do stay true to the mindset of wanting to have a platoon DH, getting creative, Pollock can at least slot in the corner, split time with Canna, along with, of course, being at the DH position while they want him there. He's one of multiple names that have been, you know, I think in the mix of what could be feasible for the Mets. Michael Conforto is a relationship I don't think is going to happen again as much as I love Michael and as much as I love his potential as a lefty bat to give you on a good year 25 home runs. Um, I, I think that uh, that ship has sailed personally, but the big name out there that everyone's talking about now, because Steve Cohen, you know, we spent $420 million already for this upcoming year, total salary, um, including the taxes. Let's just go get Carlos Correa. So I want to start with you, Rec, uh, because this is a fine conversation now. Right away, do I think the Mets are going to land Carlos Correa? No, I do not. But I think there's something that we have quickly learned with Steve Cohen. If he has his eyes set on a player, even if it's a last-minute type pivot, the Mets are going to certainly have a solid shot at landing said player. And if they really want to add not only a dynamic bat to this lineup, but someone that will be able to be flexible in that infield. I mean, there's been reports from last year that Carlos Correa, if he shifts the third base, it'll be because of playing alongside someone like Francisco Lindor. So Rex, starting with you, what is the thought of a potential Carlos Correa pursuit, regardless of how realistic or unrealistic it may be? Um, look, if you can get Carlos Correa, you get Carlos Correa. He's a good player. He makes your team better. Um, I, I, I have to go to the fact that if you're going to get Carlos Correa and he's going to come and, if he's, and he's going to agree to come to New York, it's not going to be a short-term deal because yep. this isn't a good offensive place. So if he were to go anywhere on a short-term deal, let's say he's not getting the long-term deal that he wants, it's not going to be here. It wouldn't make sense for him. So would the Mets really commit that much money for that many years to Carlos Correa? I don't think they would. So to me, it's, it's really a, a non-starter. Um, I, I just don't see the fit there. Would it be a great fit for the Mets? Like if he magically decided to come? Sure. I mean, come on. You'd have a, a backup shortstop who's a pretty darn good shortstop, has done it in the biggest of moments, um, has put up some good numbers, uh, you know, some injury history there, here and there. But for the most part, he stayed relatively healthy and, you know, he could do it. Uh, it would be great. Put him at third base and be awesome or second base and put McNeil at third base, whichever. It doesn't really matter. Um, one way or the other, it would be fantastic. It would be a great infield uh if you had those guys all you know on the infield with pete at first you know manning first base um i i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna quickly go back to your aj pollock just just because i i just wanted to, the only thing that i don't like about pollock is that he's and and i've spent some time with him i, I like aj a lot really good guy he's got some injury history uh, yes. a lot actually yeah, um yep. and i just 
to me, I, I don't think this team needs a, a He's an athletic guy. He's actually – he runs pretty well. Um, he plays a decent outfield, but you're not going to be able to play him out there that much, and I, I'm just not a big fan of him, you know, for this team because I don't I don't think you need another DH. But I, what I think they really need is just um, more athletes, and Correa fits that bill, of course. Um, it's just, where you know, where can you realistically find one? I don't know that he's the fit, so, you know, like I explained. Um, but, again, who knows? To your point – with what Steve Cohen's done this offseason, I I certainly don't put anything past him at this point. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Steve went out and did it. I just, uh, I don't know if I see Correa, you know, as a fit on this team. It seems like they're pretty in on Brett Beatty. And personally, look, I'd prefer Correa. But when you need to allocate money elsewhere, you know, obviously we joke about it. But the reality is this team is going to be, whether it's at the deadline or next winter, in on Otani. And that's going to be a mega deal. Uh, Lindor and Nimmo. I mean, Nimmo's AAV is team friendly, but it's an eight-year deal. They both have long deals. Lindor's is a mega deal. I, I just don't see Correa getting that from the Mets. And I think, you know, if he was to take the short-term bet on yourself, Dodger Stadium's a pretty good place to hit. They just lost Trey Turner. It just makes a whole lot more sense to me than, uh, than coming to the Mets. But I mean, look, it would be great because then you could trade Beatty if you sign Correa to a long-term deal and there's really no spot for Beatty in this future. Um, so you could trade him fill an outfield need, you know, do what you have to do there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, Rec, to your point, athleticism is huge. You know, I mean, there are certain names that get tossed around. We don't need another DH. That's the biggest thing for me. Agreed. You know, we've got we've got Pete, we've got Vogelback, we've got Alvarez right now. It's like we're good on the DH front. We need versatility. We need guys who can maybe play second, left, and right. Or, you know, I mean, do we – like, who's our backup center fielder right now? I'm sorry if I'm, like, missing this one if it's in, like, broad daylight, but – Who's our backup center fielder? Mark Canna? Marte, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah. Marte, I, I, I guess, mean, yeah. Marte, Canna, like, we, you know, we need more athleticism. We need more versatility. Um, you know, you, you get five bench spots now and uh, you, you can't have three DHs on the team. Yeah. Yeah. No, beautifully said. And again, mate, when I mentioned Pollock, I actually mentioned him more so as a potential feasible option versus even like a J.D. Martinez, for instance. I'm talking about a guy that can at least go in the corner when need be versus not at all. Because if you go after J.D. Martinez, like what you did at the trade deadline, the guy isn't doing anything but DH. It's as simple as that. It's the same thing as a Nelson Cruz or whoever it may be, a veteran right-handed bat, for instance. And again, you could argue that's even in the best interest of this Mets offense to not only get another bat, but it's specifically a lefty bat as well. You can make that fair argument. So from a power side of things, but again, the options are few and far in between out there. I've seen some people toy Joey Gallo. That man's never playing in New York again. Don't want to hear that even for one more second, if I'm being honest with you. Um, Yankees fans did enough damage with him, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, all in all, the Mets, it's going to be very interesting to see how they weigh from an offensive standpoint because they have a good portion now of the offseason to figure it out. Give credit where credit's due to Billy Appler and Steve Cohen. They just handled the most difficult part of this offseason, quite literally throughout the entire winter meetings. That's basically all it took. A week, week and a half span, and they were done. They brought back Nimmo. They solidified their rotation that had so many gaping holes entering the offseason, and they've added some very key relievers that make you know that, okay, yes, we're still going to add another piece or two, but they got some of the big guys. They got their number one setup man. They got their number one lefty killer out of that pen. Like they got that solidified, and that's huge. So I just hope for the Mets' sake going forward when evaluating this offense 
that they don't sit back and say that, oh, we're completely comfortable for this upcoming season. Because while, again, they may have a great year offensively, maybe they'll be completely different. Maybe we'll, we will get more pop from guys than we expected. With the shift gone, that's always going to help things too for the Mets with getting more hits in general. But point stands, I, I think there's too much of a risk by just betting on what the kids can give you. I at least add one certainty to this lineup from an offensive standpoint. And I think as Mets fans, you're feeling pretty good about a team that just won 101 games this past season, looking to do the same, if not more, for 2023. But before we wrap up the show, I did want to address some donations. Joe, what do you got for me real quick? Yeah, real, real quickly, I just want to say, you know, a lot of people have been stressing and complaining that the team didn't, prior to the Senga signing, that the team didn't get better from a year ago. That, you know, we replaced Jake and we brought back Diaz, we brought back Nemo. This was a 101-win team a year ago. You don't necessarily have to get better when you win 101 games. You just have to win games at the right time. That's where this team slipped up a year ago. They faded in September. They faded in Atlanta. They faded against San Diego. But they won 101 wins in 99% of MLB seasons. That'll win you your division. Obviously, they finished tied and lost the tiebreaker. So a lot of people out there, I'm seeing it on Twitter all day long, all week long. People are panicking. The Mets aren't getting better. If they go 101 and 61 again next year, I'll be perfectly happy with that, as you should be too. It's just a matter of winning those games at the right time. You know, an 86, 87 win Phillies team made it to the World Series. I mean, the Mets are better than that Phillies team. Philly just got hot at the right time. And now I think people are panicking, saying that they're better than us when they really aren't. Yeah. And and I had to get out there. No, and you're 100% right. I I think if if there's anything I learned from the Phillies this past year, and it's the same way that a lot of other front offices have learned, you know, with teams like the Giants and others that are really trying to make a push to be competitive next season again and hopefully make playoffs because an 87-win Philly team to be third in the NL East, to get absolutely dominated by the Mets all season long, how many times did the Mets have back-breaking wins against the Phillies to make you feel like, okay, this is finally, you know, this is putting the nail in the coffin for them? No, it, it ended up not being the case. And they got hot as soon as they had that series in the wild card against the Cardinals and never looked back up until facing an unbelievably talented and near-perfect Astros team, you could rightfully argue. So you look at the Mets here, you know, winning the division is always the ultimate goal, but just get in the playoffs and be hot at the right time. Okay. I don't, I don't care nearly as much. Mets. I don't wins yep, of any national yep, league team. I, I don't care nearly as much about the thought of having bragging rights. Like I did last season about staying on top of the Braves. And I would argue that in part with the Mets downfall up until uh, that sweep in Atlanta, went in hand with the amount of stress they had on their shoulders from the Braves nipping at their heels all year long. It felt like they were in a playoff race for a very long time and it caught up to them. And they just seemed like that they didn't know how to combat it in that final month or so. And then leading into the wild card round against the Padres. So I rather have a team that's a little bit more loosey goosey and hopefully get more locked in and ready to go when it matters most. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump in real quick guys. Um, The one thing that to me, it does matter. You do need to get better year after year. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a saying as a player, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. There's someone working harder than you getting better than you that will pass you. Same thing as it from a team component. If you stay idle, you, you will get beat. Um, there, it, I mean, look at the Yankees the last, I don't know, five or six years. They haven't done much to get better outside of, you know, like they, obviously yep. they brought in Garrett Cole at one point. Other than that, they hadn't been doing much, and they just kept running the same team out there year after year, and they kept getting beat. 
oh, they won a bunch of games. They kept getting to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had the same problem year after year, and they kept losing and getting knocked out of the playoffs. This team is now saying the Mets are win now. We're in it for a World Series. You have to raise your ceiling. That's where the Senga signing made a lot of difference to me. That raised your ceiling. That raised your October ceiling. So when you talk about the Phillies, were they a better team than the Mets for the regular season? Absolutely not. Did they have the potential to be better than the Mets for in a seven-game series? 100% because of that rotation, because of that lineup. And then eventually they found a, you know, a, a chemistry or, or a, a formula in that bullpen that worked, and they went on a run. You have to be able to do that. You have to be able to get to that point and be able to raise your bar with the right players. And that's where I think the Mets need a power bat. Does it have to be right now? No. I'm okay with them going into the season with a similar lineup to what they had last year. I really am. Because I think come July, the end of July, assuming mo they stay mostly healthy, they're going to be in a better position to trade if they need to for um, a big piece. Because be they're going to have another draft. They're going to have – what's up? Just don't be stubborn this time. That's what I would argue. Well, and I think they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to learn to not have to be. Yeah. They've got they've got Beatty, Vientos. Obviously, Alvarez is going to be a part of this team. Mauricio starting to knock on the door. They've got prospects that are now kind of at that point where they're ready to make an impact or could potentially make an impact. When you have guys like that, you go into a season like this. You also have Peterson and McGill, by the way, who could start the year in AAA. Who knows? Um, they could be needed right out the gate in the big leagues, too. Um but when you have guys like that that are competing, a guy like Khalil Lee even in the outfield. Sorry, I just keep thinking of names. Yeah. Um, this stuff, it gives you an opportunity to go into a season, kind of see what happens. You have enough bodies. You can get through it, and they have enough talent. They're going to – they should go out there, and they should be on a 95-win pace. I'm not going to say 100 because it's a special team that wins 100, and things have to go your way throughout the season. They could win 100. They could win 105. But, you know, let's just say, like, look, they, can, they should go out there and be on about a 95-win pace and potentially better than that. And then come July, end of July, you decide where do we need pieces, what do we need to do, and we go get them. Could they address it now? Yes. Would it be great if they did? Why not? That'd be awesome. But they don't have to. And so that's where I say they don't they don't have to necessarily, you know, to your point, Joe, be far and away a much better team than they were last year. But they have to show improvement. And that's where I said Senga raises their floor or and I'm sorry, raises their ceiling. So that's great. And then you're putting yourself in a position right now to where you could make moves come July, end of July, to really raise that playoff ceiling they need just those one or two bats maybe alvarez is the guy who knows maybe by the end yeah. of july alvarez is 25 homers and we're going this guy's so good he's gonna carry us maybe that's maybe that's all it takes maybe you don't even need anybody else i don't know but it's it's just gonna take kind of some experimentation letting these kids go out there see what they have and find out and i think they're in a good position a better position this year than they ever have been to do that yeah no, I 100% agree with you. And all I got to say is it's going to be fun covering this team throughout the remainder of the offseason. Now it feels like they got the, the, you know, the big stuff out of the way. Now, now let's see what's in store for them. Maybe some, 
you know, eye-opening moves, maybe some, again, more low-key moves like a brooks Raley trade. We could be seeing more of those on the horizon in the near future for the Mets. But before we wrap things up, again, shout out everyone here in the live stream. This is episode 36 or 37, one of the two, I believe, in Queens. If you're watching, of course, on YouTube, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button. We're doing a massive giveaway on the channel once we get to 20K subs. We're less than 300 away. We're giving away one of a Justin Verlander or Kodai Senga jersey, whichever one you prefer. And, of course, it goes in hand with Senga and what number he eventually picks because he's not going to be repping 41 in Queens. We know that. And of course, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, follow us, rate, review, all that fun stuff, and hit that like button here in the live show if you're watching us live. But let me get to some donations here and then we'll wrap things up, guys. Uh, Devin, uh, Phil says, Happy holidays, everybody. Santa Cohen and his elves delivering this year. What do you guys think about a reunion with Justin Turner? I love what we are doing. Sign Chafin, stay safe and stay classy. Uh, same to you, Phil. I don't think Chafin's going to happen solely because it feels the Mets address that area. However, I would still be very happy if they landed him. Um, just not nearly as much of a priority as maybe what it would have been prior to the Rayleigh and uh, Robertson moves. But Justin Turner's one where I think it kind of goes in hand where Yes, he's still a talented bat, but he really is just a DH at this point in his career, is he not? I mean, how much time yeah. are you going to give him in the field? Am I, am I wrong to say that? I agree completely. I mean, you know, earlier in the offseason, I was thinking about this, um, about a Justin Turner reunion. But at the end of the day, it's like that goes against everything we're saying about getting more athletic and more versatile. Yeah. So I just don't think, you know, bigger picture. While, yes, he could slot in DH, you know, how, how often do you face a lefty? Like 40 to 50 games a year? Like, yeah, he could slot in there and be productive in those games, but does it really benefit the team as a whole at the end of the day? I don't know. He's not just a lefty guy either. I mean, he he can hit oh, yeah, he still gets anybody. Right now, for sure. Um, his, you know, his holes are usually that fastball up, high velo up, and, of course, um, you know, the fact that he isn't the same athletic player that he probably was a few years ago. Um, I love JT, one of my best friends from baseball. Um, but – you know, I, I don't I don't really see the fit for the, for this team. It doesn't make sense to me. Although, correct me if I'm wrong, because you talk about high velo. Wasn't he the guy who hit that uh, hit that ball that Nimmo robbed the home run in center field? Mets Dodgers. Wasn't mm -hmm. that Justin? Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, that was like a 101 mile per hour fastball. He hit that on, wasn't it? Yep. yep. Yeah, that, that iconic that. play from the past season. But here, Jaden with the dono. Thank you so much, Jaden. He says, will we make any more moves 100 million plus? The only way that happens is if it's Carlos Correa. Carlos Cray is the only reason why the Mets would be, you know, having a hundred plus million dollars more to be spent um, on a total contract, not obviously for AV or anything of that nature, but thank you for the donut. I appreciate that. Um, let me get to a couple more. Cause I know some other people did donate here in the live chat and continue smashing those buttons guys. Greatly appreciate it. Happy Sunday night to you all here watching on YouTube. I know it's been a, a kind of bizarre weekend. Again, I woke up late today and it felt like before I know it, we were doing the show after going live last night, breaking the Sanga news. That's still just absurd to me. I got to I got to find, I got to go to my local gas station. Did they put Kodai Sanga in a newspaper? Do you guys know? Because I know that for the New York Post and stuff, they usually put the players in a newspaper, like JV, for instance, I have on my wall. But I don't know. Did they do that with Sanga? Does anyone in the live chat know? Because I have no clue. And I kind of yeah, couldn't tell you what the LA Times had. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. But Pat Metz with the $4 donate, uh, $10 donation. Thank you so much. He says, four Mets infielders may be in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, with all the excitement around this team, the WBC is more of a detriment, in my opinion. Injury risk and two weeks of bonding with the new acquisitions working as a team law. I agree with, I agree with you, Pat Metz. I think that there's more potential for it to hurt the Mets, just like any other team. However, I will be lying if I said that I 
wasn't a fan of uh, WBC. I love the World Baseball Classic. I think it is so great for the game. It's something that I enjoyed thoroughly last time it happened. I would love to be a part of it for, of course, the time that they'll be in Miami because especially when you have the DR playing, it's it's electric. It's just so much fun to watch just from being at home. I can only imagine what it's like in attendance. But to your point, yes, the entire Mets infielder was reported today at minimum is going to be uh, in the WBC. So do you guys have any concerns for the Mets? Because that's a fair argument. You got to make sure these guys stay healthy to start the year. And now they're going into a big tournament. I'm not going to argue against the WBC. I love the fact that we are able to have a competition like that. Um, And unfortunately with the, with baseball, the way it is, you, you play every day for, if you include spring training, seven plus months, there's no other time to have it. Nobody wants to do it in the off season. Nobody wants to say, hey, it's December. Let's play baseball. No, like, I'm (laughs) sorry. You play all year. Like, this is your time to get your body right. So, yeah, this is the only time you can have it. And it's unfortunate that, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be the same for every team. There's so many, any competing team is going to have guys that are involved in this. Um, And realistically, I, I don't know if, have they? announced it are Scherzer and Verlander involved I doubt they would be honestly no, I hope I'm, I'm there guessing is, yeah, I hope not, not. those are I'm two guys they're I not, not want to see so there. realistically Stanger, for me for to Japan. the Mets like um it's possible well because we'll you see. want it with I mean, them back in the last it's time not a did. bad thing either like it's not a no. bad thing to get yourself ready a little bit earlier for the season and just start to stretch yourself out as long as you look at it the right way and don't you know blow out in March but you go out at, go about go about it the right way just you know at the at that point in the year three innings max like go out there pitch like almost use it like your spring training but obviously be competitive and see what happens and i think it's a i just love the competition it's just a fun thing to have and we were watching the world cup right now and morocco's in the semifinals like this is fantastic like <laughs> so are you amazing. kidding me so much fun to watch um my boy harry kane repping tottenham oh. right now he misses the penalty like I'm just dying for him. Um, But, you know, like, but that's how I feel about the WBC is fantastic. I love watching it. It's baseball's version. And I'm, I'm really excited that we're going to get to see it again this year. So I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about, you know, the competition or, or guys having to play in it. I love it. Um, One last thing I want to mention regarding Kodai Senga. I love his windup and delivery. That's a very common thing with Japanese pitchers. When you look at his leg, you know how he brings it up. He's a little hesitant, holds it there for a little bit. That slight little pump has the ability to throw off hitters. And that's something that I've noticed a lot when you look at guys like Darvish or even former Mets. Yes, he's not Japanese, but he's been known to be deceptive with his release points based on his windup is Marcus Stroman, another guy that is common for doing that. Tyler Anderson has that big leg pump. So anything that deviates from what the norm is as a starting pitcher with just your all in one motion, when you slow time down a little bit, I really like that. Cause I've seen a lot of swing and misses go in favor of the pitchers when they do stuff like that. Joe, anything yeah. you'd like to add on regarding it? No. Yeah. You, you just might be too young for this one, but El Duque was the master of that. I, yes. I know that you're yeah. uh, I know you're like 15 years old, but go watch some El Duque tape. Diving <laughs> and, uh, no, I've seen El Duque. Yeah. No, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. He was also, just I go think watch about Nestor 45. Cortez guys. Yeah. I mean, that yep. dude. he's the current guy. Nestor's Nestor's wild. Don't forget all it. So Didn't he just start that this year. Was no, that like no he's always year? done it, but yeah. this was the first year he's been an everyday starter and obviously had the success that he had. So. John Perna with the $5 donut says, I'd move on from Carrasco because he's only a rental and the Mets have trade chips to pursue a better number four. Merrill Kelly from the D-backs comes to mind. See, I just don't think the Mets would be moving Carrasco to add a rotation piece. 
Um, that I think that I'd rather of, go after one of their outfielders. They have like yes. five really good young outfielders. Yeah. Give me any one of those, yeah. and I'd be happy as can be. Plus, like I don't think Merrill's available. I mean, this is a guy yeah. who's really cheap, and they and haven't traded him at the trade line deadline in the last two years when they really should have or could have. Why would yeah. why would he be available now? I would really like, even though I'm sure he's probably out of the price range via trade. Dalton Varsho would be phenomenal for this Mets team if they can land. He's him. not available. I know. Dude can play the dude can play center field. He can catch. <laughs> exactly. Catch That's why I want him. Do, do you he blame me for wanting him as a fan? <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't available. James McCann for Varsho straight up. Who says no? <laughs> Wait, what did you say? The, the Diamondbacks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, let's get you a couple more here. Um, Phil says, Santa Steve going full scorch earth. <laughs> Thank you, Jake, for leaving. He says, That's my. It's like the Stephen Matz situation 2.0 this offseason. You could rightfully argue. Mets don't bring back Mats. You could tell that Cohen was a little disgruntled. He's like, all right, I'm going to just completely go balls of the wall crazy with spending this offseason. He does the same again after losing out on DeGrom. Um, let's see, John, another donation. He says, I'd fill out the bottom half of the bullpen with guys like Drew Smith, John Curtis, Jeff Brigham, along with David Robertson and Tyler McGill as a swing man. Uh, the Mets are going to have a lot of ways that they're going to be able to orchestrate their bullpen. Um, I, I have no clue. I, exactly what's going to be a lock like jeff brigham's a guy who i could definitely see in the pen but he's still not a lock just yet drew smith he has options too i believe so what's some that? of these guys i, I believe he has guy. options too yeah so yep. you don't have to worry about him right he does he doesn't have to make the team so those are guys if you have an option i'm sorry it's 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 unfortunate like some of these guys that are working out this offseason peterson mcgill like some of these other guys you go through this and, and you're on a team where they're signing a bunch of veterans and guys that are, have to make the team. It, it's hard because you, you, the middle of your off season, you're pumped up, you're getting ready for the season. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I have no shot at making the team unless somebody gets hurt, which you never want to happen. So it's tough, but hopefully these guys have the right mindset and they're able to, to keep that up. But yeah, guys like Brigham and, and some of the other, you know, moves that they made. Hernandez. Hernandez. Like some of these guys are, yeah, they're, they're going to AAA, unfortunately, unless something happens, um, and and they just have to be ready. And hopefully, if they they have the right mindset for that. Yep. And I'm still excited. I, I know this might be funny to say after everything the Mets have done. I'm still very excited and intrigued by Steven Ridings, for example. I'm really excited to yeah. see how he's going to do in spring. And of course, I'd imagine he starts a year in AAA, uh, given his injury history. But definitely a guy that could be beneficial as a potential high leverage guy for the Mets down the stretch in the season. Even them bringing back Tommy Hunter was definitely nice to see because he had a solid season for the Mets this past year. Ate some innings surprisingly well. If they need to bring him up on that minor league deal, they surely can do that. Um, of course, assuming he doesn't start the year in the Mets pen, which I doubt. Um, Learn says, I want Devers. Yeah, a lot of people want Rafi Devers. I don't blame you. Uh, Robbie, Robbie Grossman or A.J. Pollock, fourth outfielder. Um, they kill left-handed pitching. Grossman's interesting. We saw him transition with the Braves. He was he was eh. Um, Grossman, I'm really not in love with personally. Pollock, I'm not in love with either. Um, but Grossman yeah, is the type of guy that you want to be a part of a lineup like this, where you're trying to grind abs and yeah. And he's a great bench piece to have. I mean, I, I played with Robbie a little bit. He's an awesome dude. Mm -hmm. He's a switch hitter. He plays decent outfield corner for the most part, mostly left field. Um, I don't think he's a fit for this team. I'm just saying, like, I, I he, he's a good piece. Just I don't, I don't think it works for this team because I think they're looking for a little bit more than what he brings. They have enough guys who do kind of what he does offensively. Yeah. Um, Matthew says, should we be looking at Michael Brantley at all? Yeah. No, I, Brantley has always been a great OBP, high contact guy. But I, I don't – aside from the fact that he could still play the corner – 
I just really don't see it as a fit. Another guy I love and I've played with and he's an <laughs> awesome dude. But again, it's just the fit doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't. Um, he would be fantastic, especially for some of these young hitters for Lindor too. I, I remember being in Cleveland with them and seeing him and Lindor in the cage together. They were awesome. I mean, Brantley is, he's like having a, another hitting coach one maybe one of the best his dad is a hitting coach um i know he was in the in the in the mets system i don't know if he still is or not um but having brantley on any team would be a plus i just don't think it makes sense it'd be basically another dh type piece because he really doesn't go out in the outfield that much anymore yeah Yeah. and and he's what he's pushing 40 now isn't he or at least mid 30s he's getting up there i'm pretty sure with brantley Probably mid 30s yeah yeah dude right yeah Yeah, I, I I would have loved him um, a couple off seasons ago when the Mets lost out on Springer. I'm like, okay, maybe Brantley could be a fit. Looks like he was going to Toronto, and then he ended up staying in Houston. I remember when that whole situation was happening. Uh, Brian, one of our last donations, thank you so much. He says, if Escobar is second half, Escobar will be fine at third. You're not wrong. I mean, you're not wrong. If, if second any- half, more, more like final month. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Second second half is, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah we like, talked about this August. two episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, I and I was mistaken because I would have agreed with that second half comment. He tricks people. I thought he had a really good July. He had a really yeah. good like first ten days of July, yes. and then, and then, yeah. and then it still finished like. Well, he got hurt four. then. I think he got hurt then. Mm-hmm. Came back and he wasn't as good. And then his August wasn't good. And then he had August September. So people just remember that, which is fine. But Eddie had such a bizarre season. He was a guy that literally couldn't hit besides more than one side of the plate. And then he was raking from both sides. He went from a guy that literally was missing everything fastball, middle, middle as a lefty hitter to then in the final stretch that month of September, only raking from the left side of the plate. The right side of the plate wasn't nearly as productive as what he was in the first half. So, yeah, if you can get more consistency from Escobar, especially let's say hypothetically go all, all out, say you get a Correa. Eddie's a guy that should you not trade, you could utilize as a nice DH fit. Splitting time with Volga back based on matchups, however you want to go about things. Um, and again, is versatile in the sense where he is still a solid glove in the infield. Not great. Definitely had some bad hiccups throughout the season, but still a capable glove at third. And that's why the Mets expect to have him as the starter currently. Uh, Trey Mancini looks like a Met DH or help at first. I love Mancini. Having another Paisan in Queens would be beautiful. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, yes, he can play the corner, but he can't play it well. He's another one of these guys that is just solely a DH guy. And for those for those reasons alone, that's why I don't see the Mets doing it. Would I be upset the Mets got Mancini? No, I wouldn't. But he's him to a lot to a lesser extent from JD Martinez did not have a great second half. And when he was with the Astros, did not do much with them either. So yeah, I don't think he got a hit in the World Series. Yeah, him, him, Josh Bell. JD Martinez, all guys that were, you know, hot commodities at the trade deadline, all of them really, really have their struggles from that point on for the second half of the season um, to varying degrees still. Uh, but let's see here. And Yoshima with a $5 donation. Opinion on Beatty starting at third base to start the year and have Eddie DH, as I just mentioned, being that he's a switch hitter. I wouldn't hate the idea um, if the Mets are not going to add another bat of significance for this upcoming season. Um, I'm okay with giving Beatty an opportunity as long as it doesn't get to the point where it's making or breaking, you know, winning, losing ball games. So I'd rather give Beatty an opportunity than, than just run out the same lineup again. Um, let him go out there and figure it out for a month, maybe two months if the team's winning and you don't have to worry about it. Um, 
just kind of see what happens. You got to develop these guys at some point. Like they don't get enough in AAA. They have to come up in the big leagues. It's a big jump and they've got to get ABs up there. So if you don't allow them to develop, you're never going to have the stars that you potentially could have. So realistically, yeah, it'd be great to give him that opportunity. Yeah, I'm I'm for it too. I mean, Escobar wouldn't probably be the everyday DH because Vogelback's going to DH most of the time against righties, but you know, have Eddie in there against lefties. Yeah, I'd consider it. Thank you for the dono again, Nolan. I appreciate that. And the last comment we're taking to wrap up the show is from my boy Cruz. He's been a great supporter here on the YouTube channel. He says, don't know if you guys touch on this yet. Yes, we did talk about Cray earlier in the show. So I would say just go back if you haven't already, my man. Thank you so much for that. Also, Rec, you were a fun player to watch in those tough Met years. Shout out to you again, Cruz. Appreciate the Thank donation. You. Thank you. Appreciate that. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, yeah, Rick, I'll take the Speaking load. of all the fun that you had. Time. There was a comment in there earlier about you getting tossed by uh, Angel and snapping a bat mm. over your leg. Do you remember? Do you uh, remember that? Because I don't. Yeah, yeah. Of course I remember that. It's the only time I got tossed. In the big <laughs> only time. Of course I remember that. In the big leagues, yeah. It's the only time I ever got tossed in the big leagues. I watched that highlight. What, what like transpired there? Because I, I totally do not recall that happening. Uh, extra innings. I believe it was 2014 Brewers. Yeah. Um, I think it was extra innings and bases were loaded. I want to say um, maybe two, one count. I forget who was on the mound. Blazek, maybe that rings a bell. I don't know. Um, fastball down should have been three, one called it a strike. Uh, so tight. it's two, two. Then next pitch was about another two inches lower. Um, so should have been ball four and the game actually would have been over. I think that would have been the winning run in extra innings. And instead he pulled the chain on me and struck me out. And I just, just lost it. I mean, you know, it's a big situation. And it's one of those where you're like, it's do or die. You're putting together a great AB. And this is what I said to him. Like when I argued first, I said the wrong, you know, I said the choice words first, like you're <laughs> terrible. And I used some expletives. And then it was more about, you know, after that, cause I, once he tossed me, then it was, I said, I'm out here doing my job, putting together a great AB, and you just took me out of it. Like, you just screwed me and my team out of a win. Like, you just took that from me and my team. And I, I, and I was just, you know, I, I was angry and going off, but I, I was, at the time, I thought I made great sense. Like, I thought I, and I, I never got a fine for it. I never got anything for it, which I thought was like, maybe he realized he messed up. Maybe he realized, yeah, I did. I'm shoot i shouldn't have done that i don't know like never got anything for it but yeah and then got to the dugout and i was still angry and broke the bat and, yeah, fun stuff i don't think he's ever realized he's messed up by the way yeah i was Usually gonna say you realize that you try to learn from your mistakes and i think he's done we, the opposite i've seen him you know obviously i'd caught games after that i'd caught games before that with him and he had gotten me several times before that but like that was just a big situation in the game so you lose it um but i'd caught games with him after and he's the nicest person in the world that's why it's so hard to really go back there with him and watch him just not be good. Um, bad. He's yeah. real bad. All right. Well, I think talking about Angel Hernandez means it's time to wrap up the show. So that being said, thank you all so much for watching it and listening for episode 36 or 37 of Believe in Queens. Myself, Wardy, make sure to check me out on Twitter at WardyNYM. And of course, here on YouTube, more consistent content coming this upcoming week as we get closer and closer to 20K subscribers. That's Joe Sorallo at the Joe Sorallo on Twitter. And of course, the Sorallo Sports Talk podcast. Make sure to check them out weekly. Joe, do you have any new pods coming out soon? I uh, should have one this week. Last week, I didn't. 
because uh, filming on set got in the way of that, but should have one this week. And then believe me, every week on stadium with uh, myself, Brandon Lang, and Cordell Stewart. Mets, I mean, not Mets, Steelers legend. Love to see it. And Anthony Recker, you guys know where to find him, of course, at MLB Network. Rec, any specific times that people should know about that you'll be on the network this week? Uh, this week, I don't think I'll be on the air at all. I'm doing a couple tapings for over the holidays. So, oh, okay. Um, gotcha. Like, I think it's top five games of 22. And actually, I think one of the games I'm doing, I want to say, is uh, Mets Met Giants. Really? No, Mets Giants, From 13 to 12 season? game. Yeah. yeah, I think 13 to 12 game. Covering that um, game. So that'll hell. be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a fun one. I, I don't know what the other – I'm doing two of them, so I don't even know what the other one is. It could be that that Mets come back on the Phillies. So it wouldn't surprise me. That's got to be okay. number one. I, right? I mean, I how could it not be? Yeah. It's got to be top five, but yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching and listening again, and we'll talk to you all again real soon. Let's go Mets, baby. Peace out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.